So this evening we're looking at Luke chapter 9 from verse 43 to 50. While everyone was marvelling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among them, among the disciples, as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and made him stand beside them. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Master John said, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Thank you, Anna and Abby. 20 Grand Slam titles, at 31 Grand Slam finals, at 310 weeks as world number one, 237 of those uh, in consecutive order. Who's that? Well, it's the GOAT, it's the greatest of all time, it's Roger Federer. But then actually, is he really the GOAT, though? Is he the greatest? I mean, Rafa Nadal, about a year ago, equaled his record of 20 Grand Slams. A couple of months ago, Novak Djokovic went past his record of weeks at number one. He's at 320-something now. Is he the greatest? Well, in sport, you can debate, can't you? So you go to football and you say, um, is Ronaldo the greatest? Or, or Pelé? Or, or Glenn Murray? Or, or acting, maybe, uh, again, is it Marlon Brando, uh, Meryl Streep, or Vin Diesel? You, you know, you, you can have your choices, and you can laugh, and we can joke, and we can debate about, about who is the greatest, who's the, the goat, the greatest of all time. Well, in today's passage, uh, we see Jesus speak to us about true greatness, he both uh, points to what he's going to do and shows us what true greatness is. And then he says, and actually, uh, this is what greatness looks like as it's lived out. So as we start this evening, uh, let's pray to our great Father God. Loving Father, we thank you for your words. Uh, we thank you that your word takes us to Jesus, and we thank you that in Jesus we see the one who is truly great, who stoops down 
to come to earth and die upon a cross for us. And we pray this evening that you would not simply stir our heads, but stir our hearts to want to follow in his stead. Amen. As Abby said, we've been walking through this uh, little section in Luke. Uh, and throughout the whole uh, last few weeks, uh, Jesus has been centered around Galilee. There's a little map you can see uh, on the right-hand side, uh, left-hand side, should I say, sorry. That, that's a close of Galilee, and the right-hand side's a bit further away. Uh, he's been wandering around Galilee, moving fr- from place to place. Uh, He's been ministering in that area. Uh, He's been uh, showing who he is, displaying his glory. Uh, He's been uh, empowering his disciples in chapter 9, the first verse of chapter 9. We see him give authority to the 12 disciples uh, to cast out uh, demons. Uh, A few weeks ago, we saw him uh, ascend the mountain uh, and be transfigured in his glory. But then last week, uh, we heard as he came down the mountain, his disciples believing their own story of greatness as they were unable to cast out the boy, the demon from the boy. And so uh, Jesus did. And it's into that situation that we read verse 43, or the second half, verse 43. And 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 while everyone was marveling at Jesus, He said to his disciples, and not just marveling at that uh, miracle, but marveling at everything he'd done, Uh, all of his greatness, all that he'd done. Uh, But this point is really a hinge point in Luke's gospel, because at the next verse after our chapter, uh, the little section after chapter nine, verse 51, we read this at this time approached for him he was taken to as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven jesus resolutely set out for jerusalem he's been ministering in galilee do you remember our map and then straight after this he's going to go straight down to jerusalem why to die on a cross you know, the rest of luke's gospel is all about jesus journey to the cross his focus shifts that of laying down his life. And why is that so significant? Because that's where greatness is found. In Jesus giving his life for you and for me. And so that's where we start this evening. Jesus is truly great. As we said, everyone was marveling at Jesus, all that he did Everyone thought that, that he was great. Look, he, he's healing people. He's teaching like we've never heard before. He's amazing. But Jesus sets the record straight. Verse 44. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. Pay attention. Listen up. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. That little word play, the son of man delivered into the hands of men. You you think I'm great. You people, you men think I'm great. But very soon, you people, you men are going to have me killed. You 
you could hear the silence drop, couldn't you, if you were there? What, Jesus, really? Now, Jesus could have taken the adulation of the crowd, couldn't he? He could have said, yep, drink it in, look at me, look how good I am. But he says, true greatness is not found in miracles or words. It's found in the fact that I came to give my life for you. And as he said those words, we, we, we hear in verse 45, the disciples just don't get it. It doesn't make sense to them that they understand the words that come out of his mouth, but they just can't put the pieces together. Later they would. But for one reason or another now, whether it's being kept from them for, for such a purpose, they don't now. How could Jesus, the majestic one, be handed over and killed? They just don't get it. And they were afraid to ask. Why? Well, maybe one reason, because they thought, well, our future is tied up to Jesus. So if, if he's handed over, then what's going to happen to us? The contrast that Luke is wanting to make is clear. The crowds thought Jesus was great. They thought he was amazing for his ability to put on a show. But Jesus says, no, true greatness is not about power. It's about service and humility. True greatness is going to happen when I resolutely set out, verse 51, to Jerusalem to give my life as a ransom for many. And so now, he says, let me unpack that for you. Let me give you examples. Let me show you what true greatness will look like. And so here's the first example. True greatness is being willing to welcome all. True greatness is welcoming, being welcoming to all. Now, if you spend any amount of time amongst children, particularly younger children, an argument will happen sooner or later. It could be about anything, about why you've got a toy that they want. or It could be anything. And, and it's never long before they start sort of using words to express, express their displeasure, to say how they're great and how actually you're just a potty pants in front of me. It sounds silly, doesn't it? It's it just really petty when you hear it. Sometimes as a parent, you've got to not laugh because it sounds so ridiculous. But Luke is just drawing out this absolutely absurd situation. Jesus is the one who's full of humility. He's healed masses. And now he says, I'm going to go and die and say, that's true greatness. And his disciples are having an argument about who's the best. They're like, Jesus, they're just arguing amongst themselves about who will be greatest in Jesus' kingdom. But obviously Jesus is there, but, but who's going to be next to him? Who's his right-hand man? Who's the top dog? Who's numero uno? I mean, it just gets awkward reading this. I don't know about you. I feel awkward for them. But do you notice that Jesus doesn't actually chide them? He doesn't say, stop being so childish and pathetic. No, Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, does something far more profound. He brings in a child. 
And at this point, it's just worth saying that, that Jesus never compares people. He never says, oh, you're greater than this person or, or that person in some sort of chart. He never puts people on a pedestal. Rather, he talks about what greatness is. Not great people, but greatness. And here he, he draws a child. Now today, people might say that children are the center of the world, certainly for some parents. But in Jesus' day, the common saying was that it, it, it's an utter waste of time to spend time with children. You just don't do it. Sure, you know, drink wine, lounge about, spend time with children. <laughs> what a waste. They were nothing. And Jesus takes the child. He brings them before the disciples' eyes. And then he says, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Greatness is welcoming the least. Welcoming the one who no one cares about. Not because the children here have particular special value, or indeed anybody for that matter. But because welcoming those who are unlovable, who are lowly, is exactly what God has done for you and for me. Showing that sort of love is the reason Jesus resolutely set out to go to Jerusalem. So how does this land today? Well, if you're like me, you probably have a bit more civility than to argue about who the best is. But yet, I can find myself in a room, looking around the room and mentally point scoring I'm better than them maybe maybe not quite as good as them maybe looking around the room and noticing who's not here and just putting ourselves a bit higher up than that or or walking down the road and seeing folk in society who well society doesn't care for them really who started wouldn't stop for them But then perhaps grounding it even further, in a place like here, what about the person who walks to the door who nobody knows, who's got some young kids who are just making an absolute racket? Chatting to them would do nothing for me, as it were. Well, I don't think it would. I don't perceive it would. Who makes the first move? Jesus says that true greatness is to see those who are lowly, to see those who the world cares not for, to see those in whom you perceive no benefit, but to stoop down and welcome. Because true greatness is welcoming the lowly, and by doing that, we're welcoming Jesus himself. Very soon, um, we hope that these won't be needed. We'll be in this building, not three chairs apart, much closer together. We won't have to rush out the door, even if it's raining, to speak to one another. 
on that day, who will be the first person you speak to? Who will be the, the person you, you, you go out of your way to find to make welcome? How will these words of Jesus impact that day? True greatness is well, being welcoming to all. And then secondly, true greatness is being open-handed. True greatness is being open-handed. Uh, when I was younger, I used to watch quite a lot of The Simpsons. I don't know if you've seen such a program. It's pretty old, actually. It's, it's been going on for years and years and years. But there's one episode I remember uh, with Homer. Uh, Homer was a boy. Uh, so this, this particular episode, Homer was flashing back to when he was a boy. Uh, and he was queuing up to go into this, uh, this tree house, this special club. And he gets up to the top of the tree house, uh, and there's a sign that says, No Homer's Club. And he's there being generous. He said, but you've got, you've got Homer Glumplet in there. He says, uh, the, boy, the sign says, no Homers. We're allowed one. Now, that's a really silly example, isn't it? Uh, a little club that was set up about Homer so he can join his friends. It was a club about who was in and who was out. But in this part of Luke, we see John doing something very similar. Verse 49, Master, uh, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. Uh, We tried to stop him because he's not one of us. There was someone, Jesus, who's got the gall to say that actually he's trying to force his way into our club. Uh, So we stopped him. We tried to stop him. We wanted to let you know, Jesus, there are some people out there who are doing things in your name and you should know about it. There are some people out there who are on our team, but they're not part of our club. And we wanted to let you know about it. Maybe you've um, not experienced it yet, but I, I think Christians have an awfully bad habit of drawing lines amongst ourselves. We draw lines upon the churches we attend, the music that we like, the sermons we value, the camps we go to, the places we work. We draw lines about who's really in and who's really out. But the problem is the lines we draw are often not the same as the ones Jesus might. Now, Jesus does draw lines, don't get me wrong. There are the sheep and the goats. But our lines seem to be much smaller Our lines are based upon not necessarily who those who love and trust Jesus, but maybe the sort of Christian we are. And often these words, uh, these lines are drawn behind people's back rather than to faces. Often words can be said as part of jokes that we'd never dream of saying to somebody in the flesh. When we read these, these words of Jesus tonight, how can we even allow such jokes to cross our lips? And as I was preparing this, I felt really convicted because I know I've made those jokes. I know I've drawn those lines. I've been guilty of that. 
It's often a particular sin of the youthful, perhaps especially in some student context, but it's not exclusively. And I need to repent of that, to say sorry. And if you feel the same, maybe you do too. Because Jesus says, verse 50, do not stop him. For whoever is not against you is for you. As Christians, we've got to stop making our circles narrower and narrower and instead be warm-hearted and generous. When I used to work with University Christian Unions, we had a saying which I think is helpful. It says we must be as closed as the gospel demands. That is to say, we can only accept a gospel that says Jesus Christ is the only way, truth and life. It is only through his death, only through his resolution to go to Jerusalem that we've been made right with him. We must be as closed as the gospel demands and not accept anything else. But we must be as open as the gospel allows. We may disagree with one another. We may consider one emphasis to be more or less unhelpful. We may prefer a different style. But fundamentally, if we are both holding to the same gospel, then what unites us is far stronger. Far, far stronger. And if I really took these words to heart, how might that play out differently? How might it play out the way I speak of other Christians? How might it affect the jokes I say or not say? Remembering that these are brothers and sisters in Christ that I'm talking about. And if that's true of those who are outside of the gathered church, surely it must be even more true of those here inside the church. A number of years ago, I was speaking to a retired minister, someone who who worked in churches like our own. And he said that during his ministry, he's had far more attacks, put-downs, and sufferings from those inside the church that he ever had from outside. And when I hear that, I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm sadly not surprised. I'm just sad. We put people down when we draw lines the Bible doesn't. And we want to let them know they've crossed it. And we end up knocking down a brother or sister instead of building them up. The disciples saw someone driving out a demon in Jesus' name. He wasn't part of their group. They wanted to be the special ones, the ones who were truly great. They wanted to keep the circle tight, but Jesus will have none of it. When we draw lines, when we say, you're in, you're out, are we in danger of doing the same thing? Greatness is not found in comparison. It's found in welcoming the lowly and being open-hearted and generous. Greatness is found in Jesus. Jesus is the goat, the greatest of all time. The one who was given praise and honor, but instead turned his face to Jerusalem and set out to love the lowly, the lost, 
to love all who had put their trust in him. The one who treated all the same and would go to the cross for them. So this evening, true greatness is found in Jesus and following after him, being like him, being close to him. In a moment, we're going to sing these words. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Poor contempt on all my pride. Jesus is truly great. Let us follow after him. Let's take a moment of silence now, just on our own, to pray to any way the Lord has spoken to us. Father, we thank you that you came for the lowly and lost, like each of us. Thank you that you can consider us more than yourself. And Father, thank you that even in our moments of pride, you still love us and do not reject us. Help us, Father, to walk in your steps this evening, tomorrow and always, for the glory of your name. Amen.